Welcome to the Old Timey Podcast <laughs> Hour with Father Peter and Scott. Hardy har. Hardy har. We just watched um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou recently. Oh, so I love I'm in a, an old timey radio movie. <laughs> I've never seen that movie until recently. You know what I love? Like the old microphones. Sorry, really quick, really quick. This is the word on the hill. We are the lanky guys. I am Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Musser. And we're talking about Oh Brother Where Art There. Yes, old timey microphones. Where you can almost like you can almost hear the like microphone elements themselves are all like kind of like like yeah, I love it. I just love that sound. Oh, it's cool. I wish we had big old microphones. Dude, maybe we could actually let's let's just like let's there's see gotta there's be somebody a filter. who makes them. Well, somebody's gotta make like old timey looking microphones. Yeah. And if they don't, another guy who could do it. Yeah. I actually, on how it's made, I watched a, like an episode and it was like old ribbon microphones. And it, it was like super <laughs> cool. And there's like magnets and stuff, dude. I bet. I, I bet there's magnets. Those crazy Canadians for how it's made. I'm, I'm all about that show, man. I've never even heard of it. I'm sorry. Dude, that's okay. I don't it, watch a lot of TV. No, that's better that way because we over-entertain anyway. That's right. You were just talking about that. You gave a great talk last night on... On marijuana, why not? And <laughs> and in that talk, yes. I was talking about how we need... A, like, what do... Um, we're not going to talk about this no. now. No, but well, it's really cool. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to be on Catholic Radio. Are you? Yeah, yeah. So they're going to... What gonna Catholic K- Radio? KPO. Oh, the one, the local one. Yeah, local one. And if uh, Holy Ghost to Denver, cool. the the talk is actually posted on Holy Ghost's uh, site. Cool. And so I it was I was a part of panel of four. And I'm the third presenter. Um, d- uh, federal district attorney, uh, uh, moral theologian, uh, myself, wow. which I have really my qualifications were the, that I'm a I'm a pastor at CU Boulder, which makes me able to talk about marijuana. Absolutely, it does. So um, we cool. have a grow like literally right next to our student center. Like we you, do? yeah, you can walk by, and every single time you walk by the house, you're like, you're like, oh yeah, they have flowering uh, marijuana plants. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I could have guessed. Yeah, but dude, this is bringing me down. Sorry, it's time for the podcast. <laughs> We're gonna talk about the scriptures, the scriptures, and horse races. I always just think of old timey microphones are associated with horse with horse races. races. Really? Yeah, yeah, like ah, here comes like, oh, I can see it I, now that you said that. I can see it. Yeah, it just has that kind of sound to it. Absolutely, it does. Well, you know what else has that kind of sound? What does <laughs> the fourteenth Sunday of Ordinary Time? Oh, oh, you know why it's horse races too? Is no. that um, is that um, one movie um, the King's uh, thing, the King's Speech or whatever? I didn't see it. But I dude, sh- I'm sorry. I'll go see it. That's right now. a crier, man. That's like I like criers. I like to cry, dude. That one will mess you up. You'll be like, he's it's a really good movie. And you're, really? Yeah. You're Is like, there a horse race in there? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a, he gets up to like to pronounce a horse race and and into an old timey microphone. Oh. And he like it's the very first thing in the movie, and he's like, <coughs> and he stutters and he That's can't real. get through it. Yeah. See, that's sad. Yeah. Well, so now to, that you've brought us down, dude. I'm like, I think that I'm a wet blanket on the universe today. Are you? It's because of me. I came in in a bad mood and I brought you down. You can't bring me down. You can't bring me down. Do you it's too that late. It could be because you walked into a sign last night, dude. I did. I was. I was. We were on. The, I was on the 16th Street Mall and like I, there was some hooligans doing some <laughs> shenanigans. Hooliganism. 
There was hulu. Tomfoolery. <laughs> there was Ballyhoo. Some, some <laughs> dude, that's a out of goodwill hunting. Nice. Thanks, man. That was awesome. No and more shenanigans. No more tomfoolery. No more <laughs> ballyhoo. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys like toppled this like gigantic, like uber huge um, trash can. Oh. And it made this like really intense noise. Mm. And I like sound. And so I was like paying attention to the hooligans. And then I ran into one of the street signs. Better than running into the hooligans. That's exactly it. Yeah. That being said, it's the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Woo! 14, 14, it's 14. Also, it's also the feast day of St. Maria Goretti. Did you know that? I, well, I'll let somebody who told you that. <laughs> you do. I know. I love St. Maria Goretti. Dude, I do so, too. She's, she's actually a really important patron of our time. She's one of the patron saints of Camboitiba. Is there like... Is there like something else associated with Camboy Tiwa? Like maybe like a group or sometimes the team. She's na- there's a team Gretty at Camboy Tiwa every every girls camp and they always have a cheer. What's the team Gretty cheer? <laughs> go, Gretty, go, go, Gretty. Hey. What? Go, Gretty, go, go, Gretty. What? Dude, that's a good Gretty. I would. It'd be better if I was a middle school girl. It would be. Not. It would be epic then. Our first reading today comes from the Book of Zechariah, chapter nine, verses nine through ten. And then our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 145, 1 through 2, 8 through 9, 10 through 11. That was 13 through 14, everyone. <laughs> Dude, how, did, what did you think? Did that sound like the tape was slowing down? It did. The tape slowed down. I was like really the, hoping. The whole internet tape. The whole internet down. tape. It got caught in your uh, internet machine. <laughs> You'll have to use a pen to twist it. Oh, dude. And, and, like, and then spin it around. Yeah, only five of you know what we're talking about. <laughs> that shows our demographic. All right. Our second reading comes from the book of Romans, verses, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 9. Then it skips 10. The, you, Funny enough. You want to know why? I do. I they're, know why. They're really tense. Ridiculous. Then 11 through 13. That makes me mad. (laughs) What's the gospel? (laughs) The gospel is Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Very good. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm glad I could help you out today. Sorry, that one. (laughs) Why did that make you mad? I don't know. It hurt my heart. It did? Yeah. It just gave me a feeling in my gut. Maybe maybe you're a little too tense. Oh. Oh. Oh, anyway, Zechariah, dude. So is so is Zechariah. this the, is this the Zechariah from like Zechariah and stuff that, like that Jesus like like was hanging out with like the uncle and aunt? <laughs> is that them? Is no. this is this them? No, no. I do like the question. Is this the Zechariah from Zechariah and stuff? <laughs> Does, no, it's not. That's what we call the tautology. Sometimes tautology. I sometimes I literally <laughs> revert to being a sixteen year old high school kid. It's all right. Chlorophyll, more like borophyll. All right, Zechariah. No, Zechariah is different. I, the prophet Ze- or the um, the priest Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, um, was probably named after this Zechariah. I would oh. imagine. So this Zechariah was also a priest. So it's fitting that Zechariah's John the Baptist's father would be named after priest Zechariah. Um, this Zechariah is also a prophet. Wait, was he a priest? Did I just totally misspeak? He's he's not a non-profit. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have IRS troubles right now, that's for sure. Yeah, he was a priest. He was a priest. Okay. He had prophets. 
profit margins. Yeah, Profits. Yeah. That was it. Didn't it? Didn't fly. It didn't take. Okay, it really didn't. Just keep moving forward. Just <laughs> so here's the story of Zechariah. Zechariah actually uh, lives in a very interesting period in in salvation history. So you remember uh, before Easter time, we had a lot of the first readings were from Isaiah and Jeremiah and those guys. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and and some of those other prophets were writing about. If you remember the story. They were writing about the, the destruction of the temple, the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And they said if the people didn't kind of clean up their act and reform their ways, then Babylon was going to come in and punish them and they were going to be exiled, right? Yes. That happened. They didn't reform their ways. Jeremiah actually writes about witnessing all this happen. They're hauled off into exile. Um, Babylon it is before too long defeated. So the nation of Babylon, which is the superpower of the world, yes. was soon defeated by the Persian Empire. So the Persians defeated the Babylonians to become the dominant world superpower. And a guy named Cyrus the Persian, who okay. was the emperor at the time, looked on, really, historically, he looked on all of these different groups of people that the Babylonians had enslaved and captured and was going to be gracious and set them free and actually help them out, which is... He was probably very benevolent, but it was also a really good political move to get everyone on, on your good side. So he tells the Jewish people that they can actually leave Babylon and they can go back home to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And he actually gave them money to do it. Oh, so wow. So it was kind of profound. So That's really awesome. So many, many people, not everybody. And actually, there was a significant—so because Cyrus was so um, benevolent—is that the right word? Yeah. So benevolent, a lot of the Jewish people stayed behind in Babylon. So a lot of them went back to Jerusalem. A lot of them settled elsewhere, which is why when Paul is traveling and stuff, there's Jewish communities all over the known world. Which, They're all spread out now. Which is um, uh, the uh, diaspora. The the we some people will. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I don't know why I just like totally went on that. Like I couldn't get the words out. King's speech. King's the pa- speech. The pastor's well, speech. I'm actually looking for the kings, the three okay. kings, like that. That some people postulize that because of these Babylonians who hung back, that they were able to be the three kings. Why are you laughing? Some people at me? do postulate that. Postulize? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dude, no, you're, I don't know no, why. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, that, that hurt me inside. I didn't mean to hurt you. Come on. That, I believe Come in on. you still. I do believe in you as well. Um, yeah, no, totally, because there's, yeah, things are so spread out. But I, here's a fun fact for you. Okay, hit me. So Babylon, do you know where Babylon is present day, what we call that area now? No. Babylon is in present day Iraq. Okay. And the capital would have probably been right around present day Baghdad. So actually, this is interesting, because so many of the Jewish people actually stayed behind when Cyrus let them go and decided to just, they, we, you know, we have our lives here now. Yeah. By the, ninth, I think it was by the 1940s? Early 1940s, the population of Baghdad was majority Jewish. Oh, which is fascinating because, and then the War of Independence happened, and the State of Israel was born, and all sorts of things changed. But it, it's sort of this inexplicable thing. You're like, well, Baghdad was a majority Jewish population because all of these people had actually stayed and raised families and their descendants and all this stuff. So, kind of interesting. Yeah. So, all, okay. Anyway, all that being said. There was a group of people that came, a huge group. There were three waves of people who came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Among them, among the first, was Zechariah, who was a priest. And Zechariah, part of his job was... Well, let's let's think think about it this way. Think about the story. A bunch of people show back to Jerusalem. They live there. They're being told by Zechariah and by this guy Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah and everybody that they need to now rebuild the temple. Look, you've gotten some money. We should rebuild the temple. And their thought process is essentially the people's thought process is, well, okay, that that's great and all. But look, number one, most of us don't even have our own homes built yet. You know, we don't have jobs. This whole place is a disaster. We don't have homes. The temple... 
And the temple was the source of all these problems in the first place, right? God has abandoned the temple. His presence left it. Why should we bother to rebuild this temple when we don't even have houses yet, right? Yeah. And you can kind of see their logic of this is just frustrating. Why are we doing this? Why are we redoing all this stuff again? So the book of Jeremiah, it's kind of paralleled by the book of Haggai. They're contemporaries of each other. Got it. And both of them, their, their job is to convince the people why, as a holy people of God, it's their duty to rebuild the temple, even though they might not feel like it. And so they give, I always joke around, I call it the field of dreams theology. If you Basically, build it, they will come. If you build it, he will come. So they're saying, well, God's not even here anymore. His presence isn't with us. Da, 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 da. Why should we rebuild this temple? And the answer is because if you rebuild the temple, it's like showing God you're ready for him to dwell among us again. But we need to actually create the outward signs to show them, look, we've changed our hearts. We're showing, we're doing these things to say that we want you back with us, God. So if you build it, he will come. That's the idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's totally awesome. I I was actually just uh, um, engaging uh, the book, um, Leisure Basis of Culture. Peeper. Peeper. Joseph Peeper. Joseph Peeper, written in the 40s. And um, one of the things that he's talking about is that um, we have an incorrect orientation towards work. So what happens is that we work so that we may play. Yes. We have we work so that we may have leisure and he says no 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 you have to flip that on your head. You have leisure so that you may work. Right. You play so that you can work and yeah. and, uh, and and his I mean in the highest concept of him for leisure is worship. Yeah. And so if you actually orient yourself towards work I mean, uh, then you're going to be degraded and you're going to want to just kind of recover and entertain your way out of it. Absolutely. Rather than saying, no, no, my free time is actually this thing that I do so that I may have the rest of my work be oriented towards something. And so I can see how like Joseph Pieper really helped them understand in in that time to really like, let's rebuild the temple. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And and nobody (laughs) wants what? I just said peeper back in the time. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you didn't pick it up. I was like, I'm. I, he's a time traveler. He, you know, he hangs out with Doctor Who. Oh, I really thought you just misspoke. Miss I, I was just gonna let that go. <laughs> I was a little confused, but I was only three quarters paying attention, so I, I just got confused. I'm sorry. Hey, man, that that's what happens when people hang out with oh, me for too long. I'm with you now, man. Um, but here's the thing. Wait, what was the thing? I had a thing. This is the thing. Oh, this is the thing. So, so what is this book doing? So his book, in part, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an encouragement to rebuild this temple and do this stuff, right? Absolutely. Like you said. But the other thing that the book of Zechariah is doing is showing this glorious, grand vision of what it's going to be like when God does come back. So it's a book of hope. It's not just saying, "Hey, this is what you ought to do because I said so." Yeah. It's saying, "Look, when God returns among His people, it's going to be like this." That's awesome. And he gives this beautiful vision. And within that, there's this very, very famous passage, which is what we get today. Which I'm, I'm still kind of fascinated that we get it today. And not a particular other day. Do we get this on Palm Sunday? Yes. Okay, good. Well, that explains it. Anyway, it's the Palm Sunday reading. So it says this. Zechariah 9, it's not very long. It says, Thus says the Lord, Rejoice heartily, O daughter Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter Jerusalem. See, your king shall come to you. Just a savior is he. So again, they're in despair. They're thinking, why should we do this? Our lives are terrible now. That's great that the emperor let us come home, but... This is miserable. And he's saying, no, 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 look, your king will come to you. Just a savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. He shall banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The warrior's bow shall be banished. He shall proclaim peace to all the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Um, a couple. 
Well, I mean, just from the explanation that you were just giving, like yeah. saying, yes, if you build it, then the Lord will return. So yeah. like, so like he's saying, this is actually what's going to happen if you're, if you're willing to take this and make it first, make it primary. Yes. Which is super cool because that's actually what ends up happening. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just on a little bit of a time delay. Well, it's also it's also such a contrast to everything that's happening around them. Yeah, yeah, Persia was was gracious and let them come back. But I mean, Persian Empire was only in control because of a whole lot of bloodshed on a lot of people's part. The Alexandrian Empire is on its way in right now. There's a whole lot of bloodshed. I mean, cruel wrathful, you know, vindictive, all sorts of power. This is describing a different kind of king, a different kind of kingship that's going to rule from sea to sea. It talks about banishing the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. Who is Ephraim? Do you remember? Or what is Ephraim shorthand for? Um, I don't know. The northern kingdoms. Oh. So the ten northern kingdoms, which, which are pretty much wiped out and obliterated, but it's recalling this history of the northern kingdom fighting with their own brothers and sisters, yeah. the southern kingdom. So there's chariots and there's horses. He's saying, no, the brothers will literally come back together someday. Oh, that makes sense. He shall banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. Yeah. He's saying the, that in the, Hebrew the, it actually the, says the war horse. So in fact, it, it's actually going to reunite the clans. Literally, that's that's that is the implication in here. Oh man, yeah. I never understood that. that yeah. I always thought that it was just like never that will they train for war again. Right? No, it's not that. It's it's no that it's actually the healing of brotherhood, which exactly. is which is yeah. actually such a huge theme of all of scripture. Totally is the is is, is is like brother on brother violence. It needs yeah. to end. Totally, absolutely. So that brings us to the psalm. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Everything, Everything is cool when you're, you're part, part of the team. team. I just throw that in there just for Thanks, those man. kids who are needing the little encouragement. They needed a little bit. So I will praise your name forever, my King and my God. Yeah, which is pretty cool, man. Pretty that's cool. like that's like the that's the first like verse. You know, I have to confess. For, for many years, I habitually sung this in the shower. In the eighth tone, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Henry Practice Reardon, in the in his commentary, he says, "I must say, I must confess that I often sing this shower, song in the shower in the eighth tone." And we just thought it was one of the nerdiest things we'd ever read. <laughs> it was like so awesome, but it just it came off with like the uber liturgical geekery. Such liturgical geekery. Always in the eighth tone. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Yeah, like... Emoticon happy face. (laughs) Anyway. What's your favorite emoticon? Um, I was looking for a mustache one the other day for you. I had to send you something about a mustache, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I couldn't find one. There's one weird... He's kind of creepy, though. I don't like the one mustache guy. I just ended up sending you a picture of myself with my finger over my... Over my lip. Which was awesome. Thanks, and man. I like the I like the one that has one open eye, one closed eye, and a tongue sticking out. I don't like that. That creeps me out. Emoticons <laughs> freak me out in general. Let's get back to the psalm. <laughs> okay. Responsorial psalm has no emoticons in it. None. For those of you who are wondering. Whatsoever. Tom, tell me about the psalm, Father Peter. Um, You know, I have absolutely no commentary you on do. this You do. You have one. It's an acrostic. It's an acrostic, which means what? Um, Tell us it, what an acrostic is. It means that uh, the first uh, verse is, starts with a the first letter of the alphabet, and then it continues in that. Yeah, so A equals, you know, first line has something A. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. But they do it in Hebrew, and so but so when they skip, they go verses 1 to Gimel, Aleph, Het. 
Um, but they skip it, so they actually ruin the acrostic in the English. But, well, they do, but that's okay. But it's in Hebrew, so we would never have even gotten it anyway. Well, the reason I like acrostics, and I think whenever you see acrostics, acrostics show up in the Psalms, yeah, and why I think this is actually applicable to what we just talked about in the first reading, um, an acrostic poem, so it being A, B, C, D, all the way down, it's like saying what this psalm is talking about covers everything from A to Z. It's totality. It's, it, it's universality. So It's like um, the Amazon logo. You know how they have the a, they have the arrow and the A, and then it points to the Z. It's everything from A to Z. I did the, not. It's the Amazon that. logo. No, it's the Amazon logo. Because they co- they have everything A to Z. That that literally is what it's doing, and which is important again based on the first reading, because it talked about what is God going to restore, what is He going to fix, why should we keep doing this backbreaking work for something that we can't see, because the totality of your life will be brought to fruitfulness. Everything. everything. He is the king. He is our God. I will extol you because he's God and king of everything, even to your labor, even the, to your leisure, your your backbreaking work, everything. The king of everything. The king of everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that's why the church uses a, a psalm that happens to be acrostic in this particular place. And I love the line, the Lord lifts up all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Like, yeah. like dude, that's just one of those things, like, you like, and this is actually where we're going now in Romans is like, you got to get the spirit right. Yeah, that's like, true. Like the, the spirit, when it's bowed down and humble, it's actually vulnerable. Yeah. And so that's where the Lord is. His work is actually accomplished in us is, yeah. is only when we're authentic about the real nature of us. Like, totally. like, um, that's, that's why, like, you have to know you're awesome. And if you pretend that you're not awesome, you're then, not part of the team, then you're not part of the team. And then everything's not awesome. Right. So we're going to get into the second reading, which is Romans 8. Right? Yes. Hello. My name is Father Peter Musset. I am bringing you a public service announcement. Sorry. I just saw a joke I didn't get. Oh, okay. Maybe well, if I said it out loud really quickly. Yes, yes. Sorry, say, otherwise say, it's going to bother me. Say it out loud. Okay. Um, the other day, my friend was telling me that I didn't understand what irony meant, which is ironic because we were standing at a bus stop. Um, there is no irony in that. That's what's. That's why it's funny. It's not a. Funny oh, that I didn't understand what irony meant. Which is like his reason. Oh, okay. That's he. he nobody's okay. actually using an irony. Yeah, we have just wasted your time. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> you know when your mind just gets stuck on something? I just saw it. Just popped up. Okay. Back to Romans. Here we go. Back to back. Back to business. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. You're not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. On, on the, the contrary. contrary you were in the spirit. Hey, now, man. here's the thing. We have to stop for a second. Is Paul, this Sarks? Yeah, it's Sarks. But here's the thing. Sarks equals flesh. Here's the thing. Paul will often contrast uh, spirit and flesh. Okay. Our Protestant friends like to sort of think that anything of the flesh is instantly negative, is a bad, is bad. So body, it, which which borders on Gnosticism, right? The, the body is bad, the spirit is good, physical things are bad, it's escapism, we need to just transcend to the spiritual stuff. But that word flesh is used in the New Testament in all sorts of different ways. Well, in two very distinct ways. It is the word sarx, but sarx is a weak word, it's a weak language, so one thing can mean a lot of different things. So Paul, you know, at some points in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus Christ took on human flesh, Yes. That's good. We want Jesus to have taken on our flesh. That's a beautiful, wonderful, marvelous thing for us to to wonder at. Because everything that he assumed he redeemed. Yes. 
So that is us. That is our flesh. At other times, Paul will talk about your flesh is weak. You don't be of the flesh, all of this stuff. So the flesh, when Paul, but there's two different contexts. So you have to kind of look at what is being said to understand what he means by flesh. When he's contrasting it with the spirit, what he's really meaning here is our flesh is, for Paul, our sinful, fallen human nature. It's not simply bodies. It's not simply humanity, which is good. And Christ has redeemed it. Flesh, in this sense, for Paul, is our fallen human weakness. So remember in Philippians, where he accuses the Philippians of making their God their belly? Yes. That's fleshiness in this sense. It's Got that it. It's not that your body is bad. It's not that the things of this world are bad, but you're governed by them. Mm. You're led by them. Mm. They have become your God. Mm. That is fallenness, mm. right? Yeah. So you're being governed by your flesh, rather, not by your spirit. But Paul's saying that's not true. You're not in the flesh. In other words— and. Again, of course, we're in the flesh. We have bodies. This is good, but we're not governed by the flesh. We're not, we're not owned by our flesh. We can have control, and that's the case because, as he just said in the previous chapters, you've been baptized. Paul actually, in chapter 7, gave a brilliant argument for why we should not sin anymore. Yeah. And the reason he said we shouldn't sin is not because if you do, you're going to go to hell or you're going to be punished or any of that. He said you shouldn't sin because it's not who you are. You've been baptized, so you've died to the weakness of your flesh, and you've been raised again in the Spirit. So if that's true, here he says, you're not in the flesh. In the contrary, you are led by the Spirit. Your spirit, your flesh doesn't lead you. It's not in charge. Yes. The Spirit's in charge. Yes. That's the reality. So every time you live as though your flesh is in charge, you're lying. Yes. You're living a lie. That's why you shouldn't sin. Not just because you're going to get punished, but because you shouldn't live a lie. Which is, which is exactly why the church starts to talk about the seven deadly sins or the seven capital sins is because those are all actually fleshly ways that yes. are opposed to the spirit. So right. pride, envy, lust, gluttony, you know, Acadia or, or, or a slothfulness. Like right. these are all like ways in which we, um, we, we can actually oppose the work of the spirit. And how do you get the spirit right? I mean, like this is the thing that I've been just watching. It's like, when the spirits, you get, you know, the saying it says, um, um, "When the student is ready, the teacher appears." Yes, that is, I think, a, like there's something absolutely true about that, mm-hmm. because specifically, when the spirit is right, like then God, then the doors are opening and things start happening. But if, yeah. as long as we remain in the flesh, the the movements, it's hard to even pay attention or let the movements happen. Or like yes. the Lord doesn't have permission to to go because we're living fleshly rather than living in a, in the spirit. And yeah. that's just one of those things that is just so it's so um, subtle and difficult. It's like refraction. Yeah. You, you know how like you look into a, you look into water and something looks like it's in one place and you go to grab it and it's not actually in that place because um, it's just slightly distorted. That's actually when the spirit is off. It looks like that. Yeah. It's refraction. It's not like everything is still in the same, like everything's in, in places. It's like, it's like that, but that's where that's where I think Paul is really important. Yes. This, this, this is a very important passage yes. for that reason. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. But verse 10 is this. Oh, verse 10. Yeah. And here's, yeah. Yeah. But if, which is the one that's removed. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And I wonder if that was just not being, I don't want to say it's removed, but it's not being read in the mass just because it is a difficult passage to kind of unpack. I talk, like, I like to talk about um, classifications of rapids. Okay. Because this is a rapid that's really hard to navigate. Oh, yeah. This is class class five. This is a class five It's not five unrunnable. Rapid. It's, it's not, not a class six. Nope. 
Maybe class four, four and a half, five. Yeah, but, but you're like, okay, oh, ha. Right. And this, and the, I, what I think is being said here, it relates back to what he just said. You're not in the flesh, so your flesh does not govern you. But here's the problem. It feels like your flesh governs you because your flesh is fallen. It is weakened. It is damaged. It is decayed. And it's going to feel like that in some sense or another until the end of time, until Jesus comes again and we have resurrected bodies. Yeah. Your bodies are dead. They're not death. They are not totality. You know, we're not um, fully corrupted like Martin Luther thought we were. Yeah. We are still bodies. We are still good. Jesus Christ has redeemed our flesh. But I almost wonder if he's using a tiny bit of hyperbole here, that it really feels like your bodies are dead. It really feels like there's nothing good that they can do. Because he just said that in the previous chapters. Why can I do nothing good in my body? Why can't I do all the things that I want to do? Why is it so hard? Because your bodies are subject to this death. Weren't you just like grasping your belly a second ago? I like was, on like oh. it, feels, it feels chubby from that steak you fed me. Dude, this is the thing. That Thai fed me. I have a, I have a priest friend, and, and he, he um, likes to postulate that I, <laughs> you've used that like three times dude i like postulation as dude. you should Pos- dude i'm a postulant hold on nope nope sorry didn't didn't work postulator you're a postulator i'm a postulator yeah. I, as long as i'm not an apostate then we're doing good but he likes to postulate th- oh that um human bodies are we, oh, just say it just sorry say it. no 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 i'm human bodies are um a subject to more gravity because of the fall in some ways, that's like literally, a, yeah. Like that, Jesus's body. I mean, like he ascends into heaven, and like, he, oh. like, like the manner in which the glorified body is actually demonstrating what bodies are actually supposed to be. That's why, like, we are, we don't, we can't like take off and like, and like, you know, and, very like, well, at very well, unless mm-hmm. you've got a sweet jetpack. But say your point now. Well, okay, um, that's it. That's it. I've never heard that. I'm just thinking and wishing that this. <laughs> that this had been kept together because of what it goes on to say. So verse 10 said, Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. And then it goes on to say, if the spirit of God dwells in you, whoever does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. So what did Paul just say? Your bodies are dead. And you're like, oh, Great. What do I do now? Well, read on, because then he talks about Jesus Christ who raised a body from the dead. Oh, you feel dead? You feel like you're dead to your sin? You feel like there's death and decay? Guess what? We have a God who raised people from the dead. Mm. So that's, it belongs there. You should be troubled by it, but then you should keep reading and realize, oh, so because that dead body has now been raised and Christ has the freedom to to deal with that body however he likes to, you don't have to be slaves to it anymore, even though it's still dead. But it's dead. So what am I trying to say? I always give the spiel, you know, at Camboy 2. You've probably heard me give the spiel. Do we live in a broken world? Yes. No. We live in a broken but redeemed world. We live in a world that's broken, but it's been redeemed. We don't just live in a broken world. It's not just, done, you know, a mess. Yeah. We live in a broken world that Christ is actively redeeming and will continue redeeming because he's won the fight. So do we, do we have dead bodies? Do we, yes. Yes. They're dead but risen. But they aren't dead. They have died. And through baptism, in a very particular way, we have died in those bodies to yes. be risen up again, to be raised up again. Absolutely. Is this too um, no, 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 uh, no. esoteric? And, no, no, no. Okay. It's good. Now, what does this have to do with the first reading, though? That's my question. I, just, I don't know the Oh, because we feel dead. 
Right? I mean, what's everybody doing in the first reading? They're walking around like dead bodies. They're walking around like corpses. They're they're crying because the temple's gone, that it's never going to be like it used to be. Remember oh, that yeah. the shouts in Ezra and Nehemiah, they wailed because this is pathetic. Even the one that they rebuilt was pathetic compared to the other one. They're acting like they're dead. Why should we bother? Why is there any purpose to anything? Why should we build this temple? He left us. He's gone. We're dead. We're as good as dead, so why bother? Let's just go back to our houses or our huts or whatever we have and just huddle down and try to try to kill the time, right? Yeah. Why should we not do that? Because even though you don't feel like you're alive, Christ has raised those bodies from the dead. Zechariah is pointing to the time when that's going to happen. Paul is saying, look, it's happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's my thought on that. Just well, that's now, that's just... that's awesome, and it leads us right into the gospel. Well done. You're rocking it. Hold on. It just happened. Because okay. this is the thing. Come to me, all you labor and are burdened. Ooh, ooh. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and for I am meek of heart and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Yeah. Now this is the thing: is that the, the 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 first part of interpreting this, it's like, yes, yeah, see, all these people are they're like totally burdened, but if they actually are uh, are courageous and allow themselves to make like what we were talking about before, the Lord first, they actually get real rest. Yeah. Versus just entertaining themselves and, I don't know, just getting drunk and living in the flesh. It's the sarks. It's it's yeah. that fleshly living, which is actually more burdensome and tiring than actually the, the yoke of Christ, which is, which is now, it's not, it's, I mean, he says it's easy. It is a little, maybe, no, it's not easy. But Well, but what, so everything you just said, now combine that with the first part of the gospel reading. He says, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although of you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, you've revealed them to the little ones. Everything you just said, everything we've talked about in those readings is not self-evident. It's not self-evident that although you feel dead and that you're a slave to sin and all these things, you're not actually. Yeah. Right? That's not self-evident. God has no. hidden those things, even from the wise and the learned. And I'm sure there were many wise and learned among the people who went back to Jerusalem yes. saying, look, let's fend for ourselves. Let's just create something. Forget this temple. This kind of messed us up anyway. Yeah. We don't need this. Look out for number one, man. We've got. I've got to feed my family. I've got to do my thing. I've got to get a better job. I've got to do this. That's what the wise and learned are probably saying. Zechariah is saying, no, this is hidden from you. But this is what God wants to do in the future, even though you can't see it yet. Even though your bodies might feel like they're dead, Christ will raise those bodies from the dead gloriously. But yeah. that's hidden. It so how hidden. can you actually say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Well, that's hidden too, because it doesn't feel very easy or light, does it? No. But, but Christ let himself off the hook. He said, well, this is hidden from the wise and learned. How can you possibly say this? How can you possibly say, as he says in John, that my body, my, my body is food, true food and my blood is true drink? It's all hidden from the wise and learned. But if you have the eyes of faith, you can begin to tap in slowly. Yeah. But surely. Um, this is a... So, um, you know how like we talk about yoke, like how like rabbis would have a yoke? Yeah. Like... <sighs> Is it the same word that we would yeah, use? Okay, absolutely. So, so this is cool because the yoke is actually what the what it would be is how do you summarize the law? How yeah, exactly. do you actually encapsulate the law exactly. in in a, in a pithy phrase? It's exactly. a it's like a um, it's like a slogan. What what is the slogan of Christ? Well, you know the story of Rabbi Hillel, right? Hit me. That was my favorite story. So, as the story goes, who is a contemporary of Jesus? But as the story goes, um, a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, came to Rabbi Hillel. This is just around the time of Jesus. 
famous rabbi, and they said, okay, rabbi, we will convert to Judaism if you can recite the entire law while standing on one foot. So he gets on one foot, and he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All the rest is commentary. And he puts his foot down. That's the yoke, right? He's like, this is the sum- this is the entire law. And Jesus even says that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. All of the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Yes. Love God and love your neighbor. So yeah, he, love God above all things in your neighbor's yourself. And your neighbor is yourself. So he gives his yoke. That's literally his yoke. But it's, yes, it's the exact same thing he's talking about here. That is easy. That is like the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to put this yoke, this this these yokes upon you that are huge and burdensome and toilsome. My yoke is not well. It's simple, but I guess it's not. It's not easy to do. Yeah, it's easy but, in the sense that. Well, it, but this is the thing: is it's it's a spiritual orientation, not necessarily a, a programmatic yeah. um, formula or a recipe for life. It's saying love God above all things, and like when your spirit. This is the thing: is you know it when your spirit is actually loving God above our yeah, things, yeah. and and you know that like you can actually go and through you know your when life. It's not. And you, and when it's not. You're starting to live in the sarks, live in the flesh, yeah. because you, because you put something else above God and above your neighbor. Yeah, and as you start to love your neighbor above God, that's actually where like that's where like uh, uh, the social justice gospel starts to move in. Like, yeah, but it's no love God above all things, right. and then your neighbor as yourself. First things first. First things first. But that's and, not. An, I mean, that's the other catch. That's not being let off the hook about loving your neighbor. No. Well, well, I don't love God that much. Therefore, I'm I'm not gonna. You know, I'm gonna wait until I got that right, and then I'll love my neighbor. Yeah. No, it's not. You just let your off the hook. This is these are the two commands. Well, and this goes back to Peeper. <laughs> it goes back to Peeper. I just, know. I just said it. I know. Do it. It's fine. And so what happens is that Peeper talks about worship and festival is actually essential for recreation. Yeah. And it's in worship communally. It's not individual worship. That we're actually meant to be a church that worships God, yes. and that fa- from that flows everything. That's why the building of the temple is—it's not a building of a shrine in your house. No, yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's actually the communal expression of worship of God that yeah. everything is meant to flow from, and that is actually the. That's why it's like Zechariah is like bang on. He has the yoke right of Christ. Yes, that's he, it. And he wasn't yoking around. Oh, oh seriously, oh, dude. Unbelievable. To make an omelet, you got to break a few yolks. Ah. All right, everybody. That's our show for today. <laughs> Dude, are we no, is it not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just feel bad that I, I, that we had to, uh, you know, end on that yoke. I, 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 oh. Okay, how do we sum up this whole show? <laughs> I don't know. What's I our yoke? I feel like I have a little bit of egg on my face after. Oh, that. oh come that was good. on. That was good. That was that was well it. done. Thank you guys. To sum up this, you know. <laughs> I was just kidding. We don't have to sum it up. Okay, we already did sum it up. We did. Dude, this, Lay off, you guys. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, you guys just are like there and stuff. You're there. We love you. We do. We, we hope you uh, are keeping it real, that you're not faking the funk. <laughs> no, never. And that um, as you engage this, that um, uh, it echoes in your ear. And I hope uh, our guy who um, uh, had to go to the hospital, I hope you're doing good. Oh, our car wreck, yeah, David. Car wreck. No, um, Hindenburg. Hindenburg. I, I hope that you see a chiropractor too, because that probably could you could use some neck adjustment, man. Probably. And, Father Peter uh, knows a good one, although not where you're from. Yeah. I, anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. <laughs> Don't get in car wrecks while listening to us, or try your best not to. And if you do, just listen later. Yeah, just you can you can pause. It. We'll pause it. Yeah. But we'll be back next week 
with a brand new episode. And um, have a good Fourth of July. Yeah, I hope you had a good Fourth of July, or that you do. So. Yep, and that um, and and I'm going on the Camino, and so to Santiago. We're to Santiago, so um, we'll we'll be um. Um, at figuring some point it figuring it out <laughs> okay god bless bye bye everybody find us on Facebook send us an email and um, tell all your friends yeah bye bye Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org you can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org see you next week